0: Thank you, it's wonderful to hear you sing, wow, and to be a part of singing like that. Let me invite you to turn to your Bibles now, Romans chapter 5, and we're looking this morning at uh, verses 3 through to 4. We stood last week, you may remember, you'll find it also in your worship folder, the same verses right there under sermon. Uh, And uh, you remember last week we stood, if you're here uh, at this point, I'm going to invite you to stand again, if you will, as we come to God's Word. So let's stand together. I know you've just stood, but it's okay, you'll survive. And um, we did it last week because we wanted to remind ourselves uh, as, a, as a visual aid of the, of the meaning of the passage. We stand in this realm of grace and glory, we stand in the hope of the glory of God. And so we did that last week, and I want then to, because this is a continuation of of Paul's same point that he's now building upon, as we'll see, not only that, but also, I want us to have that again in our mind, not to have the same verse last week, we studied that last week, but now to build upon it, as we come now to Romans 5, verses 3 to 4. Let's pray together. Our Lord, uh, this theme of suffering... Is such an important one, uh, apologetically, giving an answer to the hope that we have within us, but also personally. And I pray that you would help me by your Holy Spirit so to explain your word that it would be a healing balm, an anointing oil, that it would give hope and joy. And Lord, we need the help of your Holy Spirit for that. So I pray the sword of your spirit is the word of God. I pray that you would do this by your spirit and for the glory of your name, in whose name we pray, amen. So let's turn now to God's word together. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 4, let's hear God's word, friends. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Do please sit down. thank you again for standing and uh, you can tell that you went a little long uh, the week before when you were preaching when you find there's a clock in the pulpit <laughs> and if you went really long you can find there's another clock <laughs> in the pulpit a big one um, I'm going to turn them face, face down God willing we won't go quite so long um, but I appreciate your flexibility. Thank you for that as we seek to depend upon God and God be pleased will be uh, a little more timely. But I appreciate your flexibility. Now as we come to uh, this theme, as I've already indicated, this theme of suffering, at one level it is an obvious thought that suffering is something that all of us face. But at another level, it is not so obvious. That is, it's harder for us to realize that someone else suffers because someone else's feelings, someone else's thoughts, you know, to walk in someone else's shoes is a good mental picture, but it's not actually possible. You can't actually feel what someone else is feeling. You can try. So, while we objectively know that everyone suffers, the subjective realization of that is at a different level, and it's important that we try to get that on the table as we begin. Everybody suffers. You, me, we all do. Uh, The realization for me about this came when I was uh, starting off as a pastor some uh, some years ago now in a church in England. I I wasn't the main preaching pastor. I was on the pastoral staff team. I was running the college ministry, and um, I wasn't uh, doing a lot of preaching. I did some, but that morning I came up to the pulpit to give the announcements or something like that, and I'd just begun to do enough pastoral work. That is, I'd begun to actually get to know the people in front of me that they weren't faces anymore, they were people, people that I knew. And as I was giving the announcements, I looked out and the thought this thought entered my head. There's not a single person here who has not or is not currently experienced, experiencing I don't want to say it revolutionized my ministry, but it certainly changed the way I approached many, many different things. Same is true here. There is not nor has there been a single person who has not or is not currently experiencing or has experienced pain here. It's important to get that on the table because one of the things that happens when we suffer is it tends to blinker us inevitably because we're in pain, it it shuts down all the other voices. It blinkers us from seeing this is something that is shared. Now, those of you who know uh, our family personally, who know me personally, will realize that that I'm not going to unload my own stuff because that's not the point. I want this to be for you. I'm not going to go into great detail about this. I'm just going to allude so that, again, it's on the table. This is something for me as well as for us, but I'm just going to mention it and then move on, that in our own family life, we have suffered what seems to us to be profoundly. And now I'm going to move on because I, want, I don't want to manipulate you with what I'm feeling. I want it to impact you. So, some other examples that are not about me. For instance, I know just this week one young mother of children who has uh, had suffered with cancer and many of us thought that she was on the other side of that by now. Suddenly this week I got news that she'd been, um, what's the right phrase, put into hospice young mother, two young children, her husband's a pastor. She's dead now, a few days later. Or here in our own midst, in this own town, I know of at least 10 or 15 people in hospital, Uh, several mental health issues from, you know, ranging from mild depression to serious to significant mental health matters. Uh, And then there's all the ongoing spiritual struggle that we have, putting aside sin, trying to follow Jesus, this wrestling that we have as Christians. Every single person here either has or is currently experiencing or experienced pain It's not just you, it's us. That isn't to delegitimize what you're going through. It's to put on the table that this is mutual. Some people suffer more profoundly than others, of course, you just read the book of Job. (laughs) But nonetheless, it is the human condition in one way or another. Now we're starting this way because often what happens, and Paul does precisely the reverse of this, but often what happens at this point when uh, the, p- the problem of pain or the problem of suffering is brought onto the table, then Christians are put on the defensive Someone comes along and says, How can you be a Christian? How can you believe in a God of love given the fact of suffering in this world? And we try, we write books about it. We go to conferences about it. We have talks about it. We try to answer it. We're on the defensive. And characteristically, Paul does the very reverse of that. He goes on the offensive. So typical of Paul. We rejoice. In our sufferings, he goes on the offensive. It's characteristically Pauline, so typical of Paul. And this will take some explanation. How is it that we can rejoice in sufferings? How is it that Paul, is it just his nature that Paul is always feisty? You know, he had this church in Corinth and they were criticizing him for being weak. And then he said, well, let me tell you just how weak I really am. And he wrote two books to explain just how weak he was. He's always pushing back. No, this is a biblical thought throughout Scripture. So let me state what I think this passage is saying and then explain it, and then, God willing, apply it. What I think Paul is saying here, what the Bible is saying, what God through His Word is saying is the following. We rejoice even more, not only that, but also. We rejoice even more because God works through the sufferings of this present time Gonna to have to explain that phrase, this present time, to show us the certainty of our inheritance and that we will certainly have it. Let me say that again. We rejoice even more. Not only that, but also we rejoice even more because God works through the sufferings of this present time. I have to explain, there's a whole worldview there, to show us the certainty of our inheritance and that we will certainly have it. That's what I think Paul is saying, let me explain why it is that I think he is saying that. So, as you look down at these verses, you'll see they're structured around a ladder. This leads to this, leads to that, leads to the other. There's a ladder here that leads to, in the end, hope. And in this ladder there is a context that Paul is building an argument, not only that, but also so he's building upon what he's already been saying in chapter five, that is, therefore, having been justified by faith. So he's been arguing in chapters one to four that because God is a God who is holy, and we are not, we have all sinned, everyone has fallen short of the glory of God, every race, every class, every person, every rich person, every poor person. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, and because of that, God is just. We are under His just condemnation, His wrath, as Paul describes it. And therefore, because God is not only a God of justice but also a God of love, He has sent His Son, Jesus, to die in our place, to take the punishment that we deserved, so that if we trust Him, we are forgiven. He took Our punishment. We're forgiven, but also we are declared righteous. We receive. God imputes to us, technical word, reckons to us His righteousness so we have a right standing before God. Therefore, summarizing all of chapters 1 to 4, justified by faith, we have these amazing things. We are certain, sure, confident as Christians, as real believers. We have peace with God. We saw that a couple of weeks ago. Then last week, we have access into this realm of grace and glory, the hope of the glory of God. We are being transformed by God's power right now into vessels suitable for the eternities of glory forever, and so we rejoice Paul's saying all that, and then the natural comeback, having heard all of that, is to say, well, that doesn't describe my reality. What a bunch of churchy, pious nonsense. You have no idea what I'm going through, Pastor. You told me last week to rejoice. You have no idea. In fact, I'm angry. What about suffering? What about my suffering? Your suffering. And so Paul says, okay, I'm glad you mentioned that. Actually, we rejoice in sufferings. How is that possible? And so he begins to explain Rejoice, same word as last week, boasting, that is a rejoicing confidence, a courageous bravery, an assertion, a congratulation, a statement that, wow, isn't this amazing, in sufferings? That word in, rejoicing in sufferings, needs to be carefully grasped. Paul is not saying here that we rejoice despite our suffering. He is not saying that we can be positive because we have other good things going for us as Christians, nor is Paul just saying we can rejoice in the midst of sufferings. That is, he is not just saying that a Christian can, even while suffering, find the ability or power to rejoice right there in the middle of them. Paul is saying something more than either of those things. Paul is actually saying that we rejoice in sufferings. That is, as far as I can tell all Greek scholars I did all the research I could in dictionaries and commentaries all Greek scholars agree that in the common usage of the New Testament this means that Paul is saying that we rejoice because of on account of how can this be first step on this ladder sufferings Need to understand the whole worldview, so it 's like there 's a ladder and there 's a worldview around it and now i 'm explaining the worldview, which is indicated by this word sufferings just going to have time to indicate it to you just a little bit, pull back the veil and help you grasp it. You can do research on this more afterwards it 's everywhere in scripture. Psalm 20, Daniel chapter 12, Daniel prophesies that the Christ will come, there'll be a new age of the Spirit, Christ will come, the gospel will go to all nations, we heard about from our missions trip, it is happening, this Christ has come, it's going to be this wonderful new age of Christ and the Holy Spirit and at the same time he says this age will also be marked by, same word in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, also this age, this present time marked by troubles. Same time, goes together. <laughs> Psalm 20, Daniel 12, then Jesus picks up on this idea when He tells His disciples, John 16, in the world you will have troubles, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Acts 14, 22, Paul describes the same salvation historical point, the same biblical worldview by saying to his uh, the new Christians that he had been discipling, through many troubles, same word, through many troubles we must enter the kingdom of God. You don't hear that preached in many churches. Can you imagine a billboard outside a church, Uh, come to our church on Sunday, through many troubles you enter the kingdom of God. It's important to get this worldview right because the question that comes as we begin to get into this first step on this ladder and the worldview that's around it, the framework, the understanding, the salvation historical, this present time, the question that comes is, are these sufferings persecutions, that is, suffering for witnessing to Jesus or living as a Christian, or are they general sufferings, that is, any kind of suffering that we face in this world? And I think as I wrestle with that question, the answer is yes. In other words, I think in this biblical way of thinking, that's all I mean by worldview, this biblical way of thinking, now as we are in Christ as Christians, we are now in the kingdom and the forces of darkness are arraigned against us. They are organized against us. Yet we have him who in us is greater than he who is in the world. We have Christ and so we can be strong and of good cheer and indeed rejoice and part then of the experience of a true Christian is that there will be suffering, suffering of any and all kinds, which in a certain sense is as a result of their walk with Christ as they follow Him, not this present age. So I do not think Paul has in here in mind, I do not think Paul has here in mind specifically persecutions, for he does not say that he has in mind specifically persecutions. I think he means all and every kind of suffering that we experience as a Christian now, as Paul will then teach, is able now to be looked on as part of this purpose of God, the sovereign Lord, to make us who He wants us to be and give us, indeed, great joy. How can this be? Well, Paul says there's something you need to know, knowing, knowing. In other words, this is not automatic. You've got to to fight for insight, to understand by faith God's purpose, to know what is he doing. Paul says, knowing this ladder, suffering produces endurance. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. It's a separate, distinct thought which next week we'll see how Paul builds upon when he talks of the work of the Holy Spirit poured God's love into our hearts, and here in this distinct thought is a common one in the New Testament, this ladder. Let me quote from a couple of places. Peter says the same thing. In this you rejoice. Again, rejoice? In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, not particular trials, various trials, any in various kinds, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire. Wonderful image that we'll pick up on again. Gold refined by fire, tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory revela- and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Same idea then also in James. James writes, Count it all joy, my brothers. Wow, really? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds so you know, you know, you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and that steadfastness have its full effect so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. In this you rejoice, count it all joy. Why should I count it? joy. There's something you need to know, says Paul. What? Suffering works something. What does it work? It works endurance, next step on the ladder. Now, endurance, my friends, does not just mean putting up with it in a passive way. You know, I went to that movie and I had to endure it No, it means something active. It means gutting it out. Gutting it out. So suffering is not pleasant. The Christian does not feel happy about suffering. Otherwise, there'd be nothing to endure. No trial is pleasant at the time, but later it produces a harvest of righteousness if we endure not automatic, something we need to know. Hebrews puts it like this, God is treating us like children, using these trials to train us, and so we receive it as for a fatherly, loving, higher purpose. And step, this next step on that purpose is this, it moves us, this endurance, this gutting it out, it moves us out of that little twilight zone where we think that now we're Christians, everything is always going to go all right. Guts it out. And so we develop a tougher character. Next step. And see that character here doesn't just mean a moral or mature character though it certainly includes that. The focus of this word here is a proven character. That is, this person has been stamped like a coin, verified, true, character. So we get to this point where we're certain that we actually are a part of this true spiritual kingdom and we're actually going somewhere. And so in the end, we're more filled with hope. The thinking here of this character is of someone passing a test. They are proven, they are certified. They can look at how they gutted it out, they endured, and they stuck to be a Christian even in the face of it, whatever it is. And they realize that, oh, they are a Christian. It gives them assurance. They are refined as gold, and the dross is burnt away, and they can see the gold more clearly. They become the sort of person who is tried and true they're more certain about who they are as Christians, more certain about the reality of these spiritual things, it pulls back the temporary and passing circumstances to reveal a gold a character something that's destined for a future a hope that I have right now that's for then and I begin to see it you see this hope as always in the biblical use of the word does not mean I hope so or I hope that things will turn out for the best it means this certain confident assurance of what will definitely happen we looked at that last week when we looked at hope but do you notice how hope begins this process and then ends this process So is this the same hope, or is it a different hope? And the answer is that it's the same hope, but it's now a higher hope. It's a more assured hope. One person said here that in this passage, hope is both the parent and child. It's the beginning and end of this process. See, at the end of the suffering... By God's sovereign purpose, there's many different issues related to that statement. I I wrote a paper on God's divine sovereignty, God's sovereignty and human responsibility. I'm not going to get into that now. It's at the back if you want to follow that up afterwards. God's sovereignty and human responsibility. By God's sovereign purpose, as we receive it, knowing, that's our responsibility, understanding, knowing that God has this purpose... We endure, we gut it out. We develop, therefore, a character, tried and true, verified. As genuinely a part, a member of this new kingdom of Christ, now and forever. And we say, oh, I really do believe in Jesus. We really do follow him. God really does love me like a father loves their child, poured into our hearts his love by the Holy Spirit. He refines us. He shapes us. And so for this reason we rejoice in sufferings. It's not that we're glad that they're taking place. No, of course not. Otherwise there'll be nothing about which to endure. But we still do more than simply find reasons to rejoice despite them. Good thing to do, but more than that. Or in the midst of them, a good thing to do, but more than that. We rejoice in them. How? Because as we know what God is doing, we can discern how he's using these sufferings proactively to shape us, to train us, to refine us, to remove the dross, to reveal the gold. Like a father, a child, it shows his love for us. So we endure. We endure. Have you? Um, I don't know whether you've ever been to CrossFit. I never have, and I never want to. <laughs> but there you are at the gym, and you go through whatever the routine is, and you're three quarters of the way through, and you are exhausted, and you, you gut it out. Or you're a runner. It's not a sprint; it's a marathon. And you're at mile 18. And you push through the pain barrier. You endure. And because of that, you're verified. You pass the test. You truly are a part of something bigger than mere circumstances. You have something within you through your faith in Christ that can beat cancer. It doesn't mean that every Christian is always going to be healed. The person I told you about at the beginning had one of her last references statements to how much she was looking forward to being with Jesus. It doesn't mean that you're necessarily healed. Unless Jesus comes first, we will all die at some point. But it means that you have something more powerful than that, that you can triumph over that. You can tough it out through criticism. I don't like him. He always does this. And I really don't like that. You tough it out through that. Through pain. Depression. You fight for the joy. You endure. And then you have this tested character. This tried and true stamp. And then you realize you have hope, hope beyond merely what we were told that God would one day do when he makes all things new, beyond merely when I die, I go to heaven. But now realizing that hope begins to enter into the fabric of your being, as though someone who has endured. And Has been tested and passed the test, and you're a person of hope. We're churches of hope. We're individuals and movements of hope right now, even in sufferings. Because we know that suffering is for this purpose. And so, as Paul returns to this theme at the end of this section, chapters 5 to 8 of Romans, mirroring, it's a mirror. To how he began, he returns like this. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, any of that stuff, shall it separate us from the love of Christ? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, the fatherly love. And so we rejoice. We boast. Confident joy. Audacity. We rejoice even in sufferings. Why? Because God is sovereign even over them. He is a father and he loves us. And as we're trained by him through the sufferings, he refines us. He shapes us. And we fight for joy and sufferings for the sake of this bigger, better, more thrilling hope that we will have in God as a result of this working of God in our, in our sufferings. In other words, I think Paul is saying here, this is why I think he's saying this, we rejoice even more because God works through the sufferings of this present time to show us the certainty of our inheritance and that we will certainly have it. Now, having explain why it is. I think that's what Paul is saying. It is important at this moment as we consider this passage and the theme that it evokes of rejoicing in sufferings, it is important that you and I together are at this moment frank. The pulpit is no place for pretense. Suffering is not easy. It is something to be endured. But nonetheless, if we understand rightly what Paul is saying here, there is a rejoicing, a confident joy, a boasting that for the Christian alone, no other worldview, no other religion that I've studied, looked at, thought about, read about, met people from different philosophies and ways of looking at life, none other has this view because it all comes down to who Jesus is at the cross. For the Christian alone, only the Christian can take place on account of suffering because they know God's purpose for them. As I say, it's important to be frank. And so as an example, I want to tell you about someone. It's not about someone who's uh, perhaps known to you, though I heard, uh, I was reminded just uh, recently that someone that I know who knows this person, so you may know him. Someone I got to know when I was 20 or so. He was an older man at the time, an evangelical Christian. And I wanted to get to know him because I was trying to learn about Jesus and be a disciple of Jesus and how to lead as a Christian, how to do ministry. And so I sought him out as an older, uh, renowned evangelical Christian leader to learn from him. Um, He was British, it was Cambridge, I went around to his apartment and he served tea. I'm just fulfilling all your stereotypes right now. And uh, his name was Professor Sir Norman Anderson. And uh, he wasn't just an egghead. His expertise was Islamic law. He spent um, eight years at the American University in Saudi Arabia, I think it it was, um, learning Arabic, learning Islamic law. He was an expert in Islamic law called upon by various governments when they were dealing with issues related to that. So an important man and a powerful man and I went to see him in his little apartment, and he served tea, as you'd expect. And his wife was there too, and she helped with all that. And she behaved a little strangely. And when she was out of the room, he uh, he, he leant across to me and just... Said quietly, uh, Josh, my wife has Alzheimer's. So here's this big, powerful man in his 80s by now, octogenarian, small apartment in Cambridge with a wife with Alzheimer's. And I'm listening to him over a number of months, getting to know him, going around to his apartment trying to learn about leadership and Christian ministry, getting every opportunity I can to learn from this great man. And I begin to get to know him. And what I discover is that he had three three children, a son and two daughters. The son was called Hugh, equally brilliant as the father. He uh, was uh, president of what's called the Cambridge Union, which is one of the commonly used pathways to political power and was fated as an ex-prime minister of Great Britain in his third year as an undergraduate. He suddenly died of a brain tumor. Two daughters. One goes off to be a medical missionary in a country in Africa, and during one of the uprisings there is brutally gang-raped. And is furloughed home, of course, to heal. She does heal. She's in California getting another medical degree and training. She slips and falls down a flight of stairs, bangs her head on the floor, and is knocked unconscious and drowns in her own spittle. Uh, This daughter here, dies in unusual circumstances which everyone assumes was suicide. Professor Sir Norman Anderson. And he had joy. I tell you, joy we were running a um a mission at the time an outreach event for a couple of thousand undergraduate students at cambridge we were trying to be very hip and cool you know in a 1991 kind of way (laughs) and so we had done all sorts of hip cool things and then but i thought it would be good to have this man give a testimony Most people thought I was nuts, but we did. So you've got all these 18 to 21-year-olds packed in a room. We've had the latest whatever-it-was thing to get people's attention. He's getting prepared for the Word to be preached, and he comes up to give a testimony. Octogenarian. You know what happens when men get older? how they begin to how their body shape changes i can say this cuz my father says this and he's older so it, it, it now has permission because he describes older men like this he says as men get older they become a barrel on sticks <laughs> you know what i mean so here's and he's got a little cane and he's a barrel on little tiny sticks Gets out some lengthy manuscript or something, and there's a little sniggering <laughs> look at that guy. They must be so out of date. <laughs> and then he and then he tells his story. Pin, drop, silence. He does the same thing at a convention of thousands and thousands of students pin drop silence how 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 does he have joy You've got the passage in front of you, either in the Bible, or in the worship folder? Not only that, you thought the crescendo was last week in verse 2. Paul says, no, 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 not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Paul, do not talk to me about suffering. Certainly, don't tell me to count it all joy, brothers. Let me explain something to you, Paul says. We rejoice in our sufferings. A man, Paul, who also knew a thing or two about suffering, by the way. We rejoice in our sufferings knowing something you need to know. Knowing. That suffering, what do I need to know, Paul? That suffering under God's sovereign purpose, when we know this, when we understand this, when we apply this, suffering produces produces something good, Paul. Yes, it produces endurance. You gut it out. You endure. You fight for the joy. And at the other end of endurance, yes, Paul, there's something else. Then you get character. You're verified, you're stamped as truly a part of this heavenly kingdom. You know it more surely in your own soul. The gold is refined and you begin to see it sparkle in front of you. The light catches it, you see it. You have character. And character produces hope. Bigger. One of the last things he said, I was just told Norman Anderson, is we look to the latter end. In other words, I think Paul was saying here, we rejoice even more Because God works through the sufferings of this present time to show us the certainty of our inheritance and that we will certainly have it. Let's pray together. And as we pray, I'll apply in this way, what we've just been thinking about. First, we'll pray for non-Christians and then for Christians. So, First of all, for non-Christians, that is those of us here this morning who don't yet know Jesus, we welcome you. We're glad you're here. Let me pray for you. Lord, I pray for those who don't yet know you, perhaps who've come with this question about suffering at the forefront of their mind, I pray that you would use pain, Pain as a warning signal that something is not right with this world, something is not right with them. C. S. Lewis said, suffering is God's megaphone to a deaf world. Would you, Lord, use this pain, this these troubles? to get through to someone who's looking around for the answer, and the answer's right here in you, Jesus. Would you, by your Holy Spirit, through pain, drive them to you? Would you do that for someone today, we pray. And now uh, for the Christians here. Lord, I pray for those of us who are Christians, many of us this morning, of course, I pray that you would help us to know more clearly more definitively be able to apply this truth to our own lives right now in the circumstances in which we are personally that we are personally facing at this moment to know the truth of your sovereign purpose, and so to endure, so to have character, so to have hope, and so to be filled with joy. In Jesus' name, Amen.